0: God's mad at him. I think of it more like us turning our back to what he wants to do or like stepping outside the flow of the waterfall. But here God is saying, if you'll tithe, you'll bring that first fruits, if you bring that tithe, he says, I will bless you in abundance. Do you see that? That's overflowing, barns overflowing. You won't even have enough room. That's called abundance. Having more than you need, more than you can actually hold. That's called abundance. And what the Lord is saying is very clearly, he's doing this for us. He's trying to convince us that this is the wisest thing we could do. He doesn't need our money. He's trying to tell you, hello. You know what I'm saying? It's like having seed in our hands and just being like, I don't don't want to put it in the ground. I don't want to put it in the ground. You know, that's how we think. We think our 10% is going to do something for us. When it's not, seed that does not go in the ground won't do anything, will it? You have to put the seed in the ground. And the Lord is trying to tell us this. Now, I don't, I don't mean in any way. The Bible never says that, that uh, Okay, God, I'm going to give to you if, as long as you give back. You know, the Bible never says that that's the right heart. Worship is the motive, right? Honoring God is the highest purpose. Shoot. If I never got anything back. I should be doing it just to worship him, right? Just because he's my God. Just because he died for me and he's coming soon, he's going to rule the nations. Just that, that's it, right? But the reality is we all know over and over and over again in the Bible that the purpose of tithing, it's very clear. It's to bring a blessing and abundance in our life. He says it. He says, bring the tithe in and I'm going to bless you, right? Give God the first fruits. Honor him with the first fruits. And you will see that there will be blessing. He wants us to tithe so that he can do this in our life. It's very simple, right? Not necessarily the motive, but it is the purpose of tithing. But what I want to talk about today more is the third purpose of tithing. And we'll, we'll look in 1 Corinthians 9 for that. But it's simply this. I want to show you that the third reason for tithing is very practical. Of course, the other two are very practical too, aren't they? So I don't mean to say that the, those are practical And this one is. But really, it fuels the mission of the kingdom, doesn't it? Whatever we give, though we're giving it to honor God, and though there definitely is blessing, when we give and we sow into the kingdom, we are sowing into the Father's business, are we not? And we are sowing into the Father's business, the kingdom of God, that is changing this world. We are investing in God's mission and we are fueling what is happening on the earth. It's very, very, if you will, relevant, practical, and uh, purposeful, isn't it? So so let's look at this here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This isn't the only place we could turn, but I find this to be such a fascinating passage of Scripture. Paul is actually talking about his relationship to this church called Corinth. Right? Or I'm sorry, the city is Corinth. The church is the church at Corinth. And so there are these Christians gathered in in, in communities in the city of Corinth. And Paul's always had a bit of a problem with this church in Corinth. I mean, they have a lot of dysfunctional issues. So he's always kind of dealing with some of these problems with this church. But he loves them. And he's talking about his relationship with them and his ministry to them in regards to finances. And we find out something about giving and tithing and the purpose uh, in this regard right here in 1 Corinthians 9, but we also get to see an insight into Paul's heart and how things probably functioned in the early church. So I want to just read through this so I can kind of bring it out. It's easy to tell a story about like Jesus raising the dead, whereas like when you're reading Paul, you have to kind of piece his story together from some of the letters. So that's kind of what we're going to do today, all right? So 1 Corinthians 9, uh, in verse 1, we'll read, um, well, let's just start in verse 3. Uh, he says, My defense to those who examine me is this. There were some people that were kind of questioning him uh, and, and raising doubts about his ministry. And so that's a bit of the dysfunction that was going on in the church. There were people going like, Ah, oh, come on, who is this Paul guy, you know? And so he says, This is my defense. And I think they were accusing him of a certain wrong motives in his heart. Verse 4. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, like the brothers of the Lord and Caiaphas? Did you know that Jesus' brothers got saved, right? And then they actually started started preaching. Caiaphas is referring to Peter, the apostle. Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. See, right now he's just kind of like giving rhetorical questions. And you're like, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that him and Barnabas, whenever he would go out and preach the gospel and plant churches, right? This is the apostle Paul, went planted churches all over the known world that was over in that day, or I'm sorry, in the Roman world. He, they would work. Right, The apostle Paul, the guy who wrote like, tons of the New Testament and planted all these churches, he was bivocational. And him and Barnabas would work hard, work in the daytimes often, uh, preach in the afternoons and the evenings, that kind of a thing. And they would give themselves so fully to this work. And he's asking a question. The other apostles, do they? are we not allowed to bring our wives along? Like, remember, Paul was actually uh, single you know, and, 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 and called to celibacy. Uh, Are we not not allowed to not work? We have to work to provide for ourselves. But the other apostles, they don't. And and he gives these rhetorical questions. Do you you go to war at your own expense, right? Those of you who are in the Navy and stuff like that, right? Did you pay your way to go and do it? No, they paid you, right? Right? Or or, or does someone plant a vineyard and then not, not eat its fruit? No, you plant a vineyard so you can actually reap its fruit and eat it yourself. This is the kind of illustration he's trying to give, talking about the gospel. He goes on to say, verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man? Like, am I just drawing this from my own human intuition? Am I just trying to give you like a reason from, from natural world? Or does the Bible say this? Or does the law say the same also? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he, referring to God, say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope. So now he goes to the Bible itself, the Old Testament Torah, and says, let me, let me tell you what the, what the, what the Bible says, that, that, that you don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. You don't, you don't put a muzzle on an ox's mouth while it's treading grain. You let it eat a little bit. It's working. You let it eat what it's working with treading. You know, you, you let the guy who plows, plow in hope that he's going to receive some of the fruit from the, from the vineyard. And he goes on and he explains what he's talking about. Verse 11, verse 12, he, I'm sorry, verse 11 through 14, he explains now what he's actually talking about. He applies these metaphors of vineyards and war and animals and he says, now this is what I'm really talking about and he says this, if we sow spiritual uh, things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Right, what is he saying? If we have sowed into your life with the gospel, is it not a, the right that, the, that the, those who preach the gospel would then reap from those material things, Reap of the material things? Simply their provision. Verse 12, If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Now why does he say that? He's saying that people have come to Corinth and preached the gospel and they've given them money. But but the Apostle Paul, when he came to Corinth, he didn't. He worked hard. He didn't ask for this. And he's saying, it's the right, but we didn't ask for this, right? And why does he say, are we not even more? The reason why is because Paul was the actual one to plant this church. He's the father of this church in that sense. Verse 12, uh, so he says, if if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. Right? He didn't even use this right. He's saying it's, it's right for this to be the way it works. But he says, I didn't even use this right. But endured all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And he says in verse 13, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? That's referring to the priests or the Levites in the Old Testament. They served at the temple. They got a a tenth of those things. And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded. He's referring to Jesus. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Jesus said it this way in the gospels and then Paul quotes him in 1 Timothy 5. He says "The the worker is worthy of his wages. But Paul goes on in verse 15, but I have used none of these things. I haven't used that right. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, right? He's like, I'm not writing this so that you'll do it for me. For it would be better for me to die than (laughs) that. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? It would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. What's his boasting? Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. That's his boast. And he does it willingly. What, what does he mean by willing? Meaning that I'm not doing this so I can make money. I'm doing this because I want to. Because I want to preach the gospel. Because I want people to come to know Jesus. That's what he's saying. The opposite of willing would be, uh, I have to because i got to make some money. Well, you know, i got to be practical. i got to feed my family, you know. This is a career, you know. No, he's saying, I'd rather die than that be me. I preach the gospel willingly, and that's my boast. And I preach, and I work hard. Bivocational kind of a guy. I'll do anything it takes so that the gospel will be preached and nothing would hinder the gospel that nobody would be able to defame the gospel or defame his own ministry that's what Paul's saying and he's saying for if i do this willingly i have if against my will i have been entrusted with a stewardship what is my reward then that i that when i that when i preach the gospel i may present the gospel of christ without charge that i may not abuse my authority in the gospel he's saying he has a right as an apostle of jesus christ that as he serves God, that those who are being served with the gospel would actually provide materially for those who are serving them with the gospel. And yet he says, I have not taken that right because I want to preach the gospel free of charge. Jump over really quick to Second Corinthians. Just really jump over here to Second Corinthians 10. I'm sorry, 11. Second Corinthians 11. And of course, this is the same church, same dysfunctions. Just a different letter. <laughs> and he's still dealing with some people accusing him of some stuff. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7 and 8. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. Interesting, isn't it? He did what? Of course, he's being uh, facetious, is he not? He's saying, "Did I did I sin against you? Because I preached the gospel of God free of charge to you." And of course, he's just saying like, "I never asked you to give me anything. I never asked you to provide for my provision." And did I did I did I sin against you? Right? They're obviously accusing him of doing something wrong. Right? They're accusing him of being like a lesser apostle. You know. What what's probably being insinuated is that because he had to work another job or because he didn't ask them to, because he was a lesser apostle. They're trying to, it's others outside of that Corinth community was trying to kind of bring accusation to Paul's ministry. Interesting, isn't it? And he, uh, he says, did, did I hurt you because I didn't do this for you because I, because I brought the gospel to you and my heart was just to like work really hard and give it to you for free? I robbed other churches, meaning that other churches were providing for my ministry. Other churches were providing for me so that I could bring the gospel to you and not ask you for anything. And then he goes on and he says, and when I present, and when I was present with you and in need, uh, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdened. to you and so I will keep myself. What is he saying? He's saying that people came with him. Paul never traveled alone, did he? He always traveled in groups. And sometimes uh, he would leave those people in those cities. He would plant churches and he would leave them there. People like Timothy and Titus and all these guys. Lots of other guys too. Tons of guys. And other times these guys would come with him and they would literally work for his needs. Other times, we won't look at all the different verses, but I'll just give you to you in this way. Sometimes Paul would work and he would be vocational. Other times, as he built up a team of people that would go with him, they would work and he would give himself fully to preach the gospel. Okay, In Acts chapter 20, when he was in Ephesus for three years, it says he worked and did, the, did this ministry, and it was his greatest ministry. But also, when in Acts, uh, in, in Ephesus, when he was in the city of Ephesus, there was a season where he was able to not have to work as much so that he could give more to the gospel because guys came and They worked. Or when he references these brethren from Macedonia, he's literally talking about other churches, specifically referring to the church of Philippi, mostly, although other churches in uh, Macedonia, it's a region in like kind of nowadays, Greek, Turkey, Greece, Turkey area, probably. And he says, those churches, they gave to me for this ministry of mine so I could bring the gospel to you. What, what's going on here? What, what, what is he talking about? L- let me just do it this way. In the Old Testament, okay, some of you might be wondering a little bit of this. In the Old Testament, in the Torah, we looked at this in Deuteronomy 14 and 15, that you would bring your tithe and you would bring your tithe so that the Levites, those were the priests over the temple, and so that people like the orphans and the widows would have food, okay? You would bring your tithe, you would rejoice before the Lord, celebrate, it was an act of worship, and uh, you would eat some of it before the Lord, and you would give some to the Levite, and you would invite the orphan, the widow, to be with you. And then every third year, would store up that tithe for the Levite and the orphan and the widow and such and such. Then, of course, above the tithe you would give, if you were a poor uh, walking person, you would give above that tithe to the poor and to help people and to share with one another and to help if somebody was in debt, and all that kind of stuff. And we saw that last week, that there was a distinction in the Old Testament and in the New Testament between tithing and giving to justice and things like that. Tithe and tip, as, as Owen said. But in Deuteronomy 14 and 15, that's the, that's the purpose of the tithe was, think about it, to provide for the Levite who did what? The Levite administered the worship, administered, administered at the temple, the sacrifices. But the Levite also taught people. They taught, the Levite taught people the Torah. And, so, and there was the, for the orphans and the widow. And so the tithe has always been to provide for the community and to provide for what those who are bringing the word to people are doing. When you move into the New Testament, we don't really have Levites and priests anymore, do we? No, we have pastors, we have teachers, we have prophets, we have evangelists, we have apostles, right? The four, five-fold ministry that's in, the, in, the, in Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 that those who preach the gospel should receive from the gospel that they preach. Why? Is it so they can get like rich or whatever? No. What's really going on here? They're giving their life so people can come to know Jesus. They're discipling, right? And when you disciple someone, you see their life healed and restored and you see them learn to live life the right way and they grow in blessing, right? Giving simply fuels that the mission of the church will actually take place. It's not to say that those who preach the gospel and those who serve the church don't also do other things. But there is something about the fact, and it's super practical, isn't it? I mean, let's just look at it, black and white. Paul talks about it as a, as a, as a right, right? He talks about it as an authority issue. But let's just not even talk about it like that. It's just simple, really practical, right? That, the, that if, you'll, if, if, if the church will give so that certain people can preach the gospel and train up the rest of the church to do what they need to do, then it will fuel the mission of the church, right? It's just really practical. Why? Because we only have so much time in, in the day. We only have so much we can all do, right? And so it's, what it is, it's not, about, um, it's not about people manipulating or using like it's been done in many places, right? Not, we don't like that kind of stuff. It's about fueling what God wants to get done. <clears throat> So that fivefold ministry in Ephesians chapter four, those those were called to do what? Do all the ministry? Got the clergy over here and the laity over here, right? The priests and the normal people. No, man, scrap all that stuff, right? We're all servants of God, right? We're all called to ministry. Those Ephesians four fivefold ministry were to do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're all called to do ministry. We're all called to serve the Lord. We're all called to bring the gospel to other people. Amen? That's the only way it's going to work. But what do the fivefold ministry people do? They equip the rest of the people to do that ministry. They train, they disciple, they organize things, they bring leadership to the community, right? And because they invest all that time into doing that, and because they invest their time into studying the Word and teaching the Word so that people can be discipled and brought up, because of that, Paul says, not just in 1 Corinthians 9, but in other places in the New Testament, that those people are to be provided for from the provision from the rest of the community. And and if you look like in Galatians chapter uh, 6, 1 Timothy 5, and a number of other places, Paul says exactly that, that those who teach the word need to be provided for that way, if that's what they're doing. Um, This obviously is super applicable to where we're at. Are we not His church? Are we not Jesus' church? Are we not on mission with Jesus, right? We're we're a family, are we not? We're the new family of God. Brothers and sisters of one another. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. And yet we, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we gave our lives not only to Jesus, but to the gospel. Did we not? The Bible said, Jesus, Jesus said Himself, Jesus said, you must give your life to me and to the gospel. Mark chapter 10. And he actually said in when he said that, he said, when you give your life for my sake and the gospel, he said, what you have given will be given back to you a hundredfold. When we give our lives to Jesus, we didn't just, oh yeah, I like Jesus and he's a blessing to my life. No, we gave our lives to his mission. He is the ruler of the nations. He is the Lord who will come back and he will rule the nations. He is the one who wants to bring justice to the earth and he will do so. Will he not? Then why would his people not fight for that as well? Amen? Isn't, Isn't it simply that? It's that simple, isn't it? That we have bowed the knee to Jesus and received him as the Lord of our life and we believe that he is the Savior, the Lord. The desire of nations that he is preaching the gospel, that he came to earth, he preached the gospel, now he's preaching the gospel through his church and he wants every nation to be discipled and he wants those nations to be blessed and justice to go to the ends of the earth, right? And that's what we're about, amen? That we have given our lives to Jesus, not just to know him, not just to become like him, not just to be like a nice little like club, Yay, we're saved and no one else. But we're happy. But we've given our lives, not just to Jesus, but to the gospel. To the work, to the cause, to the mission. I think we're saying that this morning. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. That's what we're talking about. That's what he's inviting us into. To partner with Him on His mission to reach this world. And so everything we do is about that mission. That means our giving is about that mission. Right? That when we're giving, we're giving to Jesus and we're honoring him and we're worshiping him, but we're also giving in a way that partners with him in what he is doing on the earth to see people come to know him. Right? Didn't he create the whole world for himself? Those of you who've heard that teaching, everything was created by him and for him, says Colossians chapter one. It was all for Jesus. It's all going to belong to him. So what are we doing except for going to the nations and convincing people that they were made for him? Isn't that the passion behind the gospel? That it was all for him anyways? And like I said, doesn't he want to heal people, see them delivered, see their life restored, and see people's life blessed? Isn't that what we're trying to convince people? So doesn't our giving fuel that? That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul is not talking about his, right, give me some money here. I want a Rolls Royce. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the fact that when a person will give their lives to the gospel and their specific role in the community is, you know, the missionary, the church planter, the evangelist, the, the apostle, that, that, that pastor who's teaching and discipling the word, that person whose specific role is to give more of their time to the discipleship, more of their time or all of their time to the work of building up the church so that the church can fulfill the mission of the gospel, that that those people need to be provided for. That, but it's bigger than the people, I think, too. I think that it's clear that whatever is the gospel, that that's what we give our money to. Do we give our money to the poor? Do we give our money to justice? Do we give our money to the preaching of the gospel, to missions work, to this local mission here that we're on? Yes! Do you see, be, do you see what I'm saying? That this, it's about fueling what he's all about. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the gospel going to the nations. He's talking about the fact that we're a family and we're on mission, partnering with Jesus to make these things happen. <clears throat> I remember when I was in Indonesia, it was my uh, first mission trip besides Mexico. You, know, you go to Mexico and do some great mission stuff down there. I've had some great times in Mexico. But Indonesia, first time I flew for, what, 14-some hours on an airplane. And went to Indonesia. It was a powerful time. And uh, we got in touch with a church there that, okay, I, let me give you a background a little quick with Indonesia. Indonesia is uh, mo- the most populated Muslim country in Asia. Okay? And in Jakarta, that's the capital city in, of Indonesia, on the island of Java, tons of islands in Indonesia. In Java, in Jakarta, le, uh, when I went, there was 11 million people in that city. Super crowded, really polluted. Like, you couldn't even drive with the windows open because it was just that bad. Tons of mosquitoes, like massive ones, like that big. No, like I remember my friend woke up one time with a bump on his arm like this big because he, I think that mosquito had been sitting there for hours just sucking on him, you know? One time we killed a mosquito and there was, yeah, this is good for the, this is for the guys, we killed a mosquito and there was a thing of blood like that. I'm tell- I'm not joking. That thing was gorged, okay? It was just crazy. So, uh, and that was because they had open open sewers and it just it was horrible. Okay. That really had nothing to do with what I was going to say. So, we got into we got involved in this, we got involved with this church that in in 10 years had grown to 300,000 people. That's crazy, huh? A real apostolic move of God. It was powerful. 300,000 people, and they were scattered all over, primarily in Jakarta, but throughout probably a little bit, uh, they had started planting churches outside of that. In Jakarta, 300,000 people in this, this 11 million city, and they had been planting churches all over. We went two times to prayer meetings with just the pastors, like some 300 pastors in in, um, in these, like, it would be these pastor gatherings, these leader gatherings, and it would just be these awesome prayer meetings. One was like an all-night prayer meeting, one was like a See, I just prayed in my spiritual language for hours because, like, I didn't know what they were saying, so I'll just join in, you know? And um, it was fun, though. We worshiped and prayed in the Spirit and prayed in our English and all that fun stuff. I mean, I saw these pastors rocked, but I, I could see why there was 300,000 people. They were planting churches in, in, um, in uh, like, uh, nice hotels. and I mean, all over the place, right? And these people were really on fire for the Lord. And one time we were going to one of their buildings. It's a really nice few story building where they had one of their churches and probably some offices and some other things going on. And I think, yeah, their offices were on the top story and all that kind of stuff. And, and I remember one of the guys, you got to also understand this was in the, uh, I went in like 2000, which was a few years after the Asia had their economic crash. I don't know how much you know about in the 90s, Asia had a major economic crash and Indonesia was super affected. And so um, a lot of poverty there as well. And one of my uh, leaders who was from Indonesia asked the guy who was leading us, he said, how how do you guys like afford this? Like, how do you guys pay for this? And like, you know, and plus they're like staying in hotels for their churches and stuff. And the guy just looks at him and goes, people tithe. And just laughed. This is the reality. He's all, our people tithe. And then he laughed. it's real simple, isn't it? If God's people would give to the work of the kingdom, we could get some more stuff done. It's not about money. When Paul focused on the fact that it's about people, isn't it? Why? Because people carry the gospel. People mentor people. People invest in people. And people only have so much time. And so the fact is, the more that we would fuel the things that these people who are called to do this stuff, the more we could give to those things, the more impact we could have. It's just that that's the reality. It's not about buildings. It's not about whatever. It's about giving to the work of the kingdom. Uh, IRS says the average American gives 2%. You know, we say we're extravagant givers in America, but we're really just not just not. And so I believe that the Lord would call his people to believe him for abundance. Here it is, it promises in the word of God for abundance. And yet we don't believe to position ourselves to give the way he calls us to give so that we could reap that abundance even in the midst of lack. And, he, and one of the promises regarding abundance is that God would rebuke the devourer, the devourer. It doesn't mean that God's like mad at you and he's like, it's talking about the fact that I, I, I think the implication is that when we don't tithe and honor God, it opens an issue, it opens something in our own hearts to allow the enemy to come in and begin to steal, right? It's the enemy that's the, the one who kills, steals, and destroys. He's the devourer, but it opens up an opportunity. And see, we, we disconnect things that are going on inside of our hearts from our finances and things like that. In Malachi chapter 3, the devourer was referring to physically like something eating your crops up. And yet, we don't realize how connected these things are. That the things that are going on inside our heart, that when we don't give God that allegiance of our heart, that first tenth, that first part, and we don't trust Him in that, it opens up the door for devouring. It opens up the door. You know, people can make lots and lots of money, and they wonder, where, why is it draining out the back? And there's, uh, there's multiple reasons And that's why we need holistic wisdom in our life. You know, we don't just tithe. We look at other things like how to budget and all that fun stuff. But tithing is a huge part of it. And tithing is the one thing that God commands that he would rebuke that devourer. You know, because people can make money, but why is it going out the back? Well, maybe it's because people don't position themselves in faith and in faithfulness with this issue of tithing. With our church, like I said, we're a family on mission. We love one another. And even in the midst of the tithing, it goes to support what's happening in this family. But we're a family on mission. So more than anything, the giving, the tithing, goes to fuel the mission that we're on. But above the tithe, we share. And I don't, I don't, I, We just don't have time right now to look at some of those verses. But again, above that tithe is a giving and a sharing to one another like that Acts 2 community where there was no lack because everyone provided for one another out of, that, out of their abundance. And, and that's what the Lord wants us to do. And that's what happens in this church. I, I don't know how much you guys know, but behind the scenes, people are giving to one another, helping each other out. And, hey, lo- love for it to increase. Praise, you know, yeah, praise God, love to, for it to increase. But I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's amazing how people just are trying to help each other out. You know, and that's what we want. But, but we're a family, right? We're a family on mission. And, and are we, let me, let me say it this way, are people coming to Jesus in our church? Yeah. Significantly, giving their lives to Jesus. Are people being discipled and lives being tra- transformed? Yeah. Yeah. Those of you who were here a few years ago, if maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't. I mean, are we learning to trust the Lord? Are we seeing breakthroughs in our life? Are we growing as a people who know how to worship God? Isn't there, hasn't there been a rise in, in, in the boldness and the love to go and to reach people for Jesus? I'm telling you, it's increasing in our church. I'm not saying, we're not, I'm not like boasting, like we're not like necessarily an example to other churches yet, maybe a little bit, but it's increasing, isn't it? Aren't more and more people in our community reaching out because they're being discipled and equipped and reproducing themselves? It's happening. Do we not not send people to the nations? Haven't we? Don't we? Are we not raising up someone to be a missionary to the Navy chaplains, to the Navy as a chaplain? Isn't this what it's about? I knew I could pick on Luke. (laughs) Right? Right? Are we not His church? Are we not on mission with Jesus? Yes? Now, um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 here. Let's, Let's end with this scripture here. Philippians chapter 4. This is the church that Paul was quote-unquote robbing from. <laughs> this is one of, but probably the main one, that was supporting Paul in his ministry. Okay, he was, they were backing Paul. And in um, and, and, and this church, this is what Paul says to them in the end of chapter 4, verse... Um, Verse 15, verse 15, we'll start in verse 15. And look at what Paul says now to the church that was supporting him, okay? He says this, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, which is another city near Philippi, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound and am full, having received from Epaphroditus, that was their messenger, the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God." And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This was not an urban church. This was a rural church. This was not a big church. This was actually a very small church, more, more likely. This was not a rich group of people. More likely, they didn't really have that much. Paul mentions them in Second Corinthians chapter 8 that they, they gave out of their lack, not out of their abundance. This church, Paul says, you joined me. You shared with me in giving and receiving. In chapter 1, Paul calls this koinonia, or many of you might know the word koinonia as fellowship. Fellowship is not just sitting around having a meal, although that's part of it, because it's us being a family, hanging out together, loving one another, sharing one another. But the word fellowship or koinonia in the Greek means sharing or partnership. And it's referring to the fact that we share our lives, yes, but we share in the mission. And Paul is literally saying this church fulfills what koinonia is all about. Partnership with the gospel for Jesus and the gospel. That would be a great rally cry, wouldn't it? Jesus and the gospel. Paul is saying no one else caught this, but you guys caught this. Paul is trying to. When I bring the gospel, I bring it without expecting any money. I bring it to people free, without preaching the gospel. He said, "If no one gave me any money, I would work so I could preach the gospel." Shoot, I agree with Paul on that. I would pay people to do what I'm doing. Paul is saying you cannot stop me from preaching the gospel. I'm not doing this for money, but unapologetically, Paul and I. Invite people to koinonia Invite people to share in the gospel. Because when Paul went to Corinth, when Paul went to Thessalonica, and these people were giving and aiding Paul's ministry, they're just as much a part of that ministry as he is, and therefore they're just as much a part of the blessings and the fruit as he is. You send somebody to Thailand, you pray, you give, you're on that mission trip too. You get the blessings. You get to rejoice that people got saved just like the person who actually led them to Jesus, right? Did we not send kids to th- acquire the fire this weekend and they got impacted? Who provided for them? You were a part of that. You cannot separate your giving from the actions of the gospel. You cannot. This is koinonia. We are one body. The hand does a work, but the foot's they're supporting them, you know? We're all a part of this, and giving is intimately attached to all that unity. Right? Was I not at Citrus this last week, and for the last month I've been talking to this young man, pouring my heart into him for him to to give his life to Jesus and walk with him? Yeah! Are we all a part of that? Of course we are. Part of this great work that God is doing. And notice what Paul is saying. You participate, you share with me in giving and receiving. What does he mean by receiving? He means that they've received the gospel. They've received discipleship. There are other reasons why I, w- I would say this, but I believe strongly that the reason we give to the local church we're a part of is because of this giving and receiving koinonia partnership. People will say, do I need to give to the local church that I'm a part of or can I go to another organization? Dude, I, I don't really care. I don't think it's a have to, but let me tell you why. There's other verses like Malachi, bring the whole tithe into the quote-unquote storehouse or whatever. You could give other verses that might imply this, but I really believe it's about koinonia. It's the fact that I'm in this community receiving from this community. We're in this community receiving the gospel and discipleship here, and we're in this community partnering together for the impact of the gospel in this community and in the nations. And so we we give to this community to partner with this community to impact as a family on nation. That doesn't mean we don't give above and beyond the tithe to other organizations, but I tithe to this church, because I'm not part of this church. You know, we tithe to force denominational family. We tithe out of the tithe we give to the Lord. We then as a church, give a tithe, a tenth to force. Why? 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 Is it just because it's some denominational thing? Is it just because it goes to the bureaucrats? No, Because they are covering. Because it's an apostolic movement. Because Four Square's planting churches all around the world. Because they support us. They support what we're doing. And we're in partnership with them. It's, this is bigger than us, isn't it? See, the, the, the first purpose is about giving God glory. The second purpose is for our blessing. But the third purpose is that this is about being a part of something. Bigger than ourselves. A kingdom thing. Right? And that's why, that's why I give. Praise God. I mean, I, I've been blessed. I tithe. And Michelle and I have been provided for in abundance. And I could give you lots of stories. And I, and I would do it regardless of what my circumstances look like. Guaranteed. And I have. <laughs> when things weren't looking great, you know. And we just keep at it. Why? Because it's worship. But what really drives me is that this is about the fact. It's not about, well, d- d- is it 10%? What if I give like 8 I don't really care about that. What I care about is I've given my life to Jesus and the gospel. And though I would preach the gospel and I would pastor this church and disciple this church, I would pay to do it. Why? Because God has called me here. I am absolutely committed to you. I love you. And I would do it no matter what. And yet I unapologetically invite every person who bows the knee to Jesus... To honor God with their tenth so that they could be blessed, but more than that, so that we could reach more people. It is not some silly church growth thing. I was meditating on these scriptures a few months ago, and I hear people talk like this, other pastors talk like this. Well, you know you gotta be practical, pay the bills, and you know we gotta That is so a cloak for covetedness. That is so a cloak for greed. Church growth, so you know we could do this and do that and have a building and this and that. And even in the church, right? When are we going to get a building, Dave? Let me tell you, we are believing God for building. God's leading us and all that fun stuff. But man, it's not for our selfishness. It's not for our comfort. It makes me sick. It's a cloak for covetedness. And yet as I was reading this, I realized the Lord hit me. And of course, he was purifying my motives in a greater way. But I was also, he was giving me language for something. Because for a while, I'd been just rejecting that mindset of like, you know, the way pastors talk. I was even rejecting it and said, I just want a pure mode. I want to do it for the Lord, do whatever you call me to. And yet I didn't have language for it. And I found it right there in 1 Corinthians 9. I found it right there in 2 Corinthians 10. I found it. I found it. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. It's not people for money. It's money for people. It's resources to reach more people. That the more that the Christ followers would give their lives to the kingdom and come into partnership with what God's doing here, we'd have more resource to reach more people. It's always about the mission. It's always about Jesus and the gospel, about his glory, and about reaching more people for Jesus. Amen? It's not some silly church growth. It's not manipulating people or anything like that. And it's the same thing when, when God gives us a building. It will always be and only be a tool to reach more people for Jesus. It must be something bigger than just my comfort or your comfort. It must be, yes, that we're a family, but we're a family on mission. This is what I've given myself to. Some people would ask me real quick, let me go through some of this. Where does the money go? Well, first off, um, like I said in Philippians 4, it's a pleasing aroma to God. Another scripture says that we're literally giving it to Jesus, the high priest. He's the pastor. So that's the worship dynamic. But physically speaking, the money is collected and, and counted by counters, trusted people in pairs, and they count the money. And then uh, Debbie and... and, and um, enters in information and that kind of stuff, and Tom helps with some of that. But we have a church council, a group of people that, that watch the finances. The people who count the money, there's accountability there. It gets deposited over here, and Debbie uh, kind of puts together, the, does the checkbook, and then the council oversees that. And so there's an integrated, or not integrated, but kind of a network of accountability. You can't just have one person like stif- uh, siphoning off money or something like that. It takes two people to sign a check around here. Tom and I sign checks. So he holds us accountable in that way. You can't just like write a check around, you know. Um, uh, The council, uh, almost monthly, except when I have a baby and things like that. (laughs) Uh, But they actually get get financial reports every month, but then we don't meet always every month. Watch and look and they ask questions. Where's the money going here? Where's the money? They're the ones who make decisions. Where does the money go? Well, it provides for personnel. That's number one. Number two, it provides for facilities. This and our offices where discipleship and outreach happen. But also a lot of the money goes to ministries, outreaches, and things like that. Uh, there, we, we actually will give you a budget, like, or we'll actually lay it out at Kingdom Night. You could, any day, you could come to my office and be like, I'd like to see the finances of our church. Sure. It's open book. We have nothing to hide. But every year we will give a yearly financial report at Kingdom Night, which is coming up at the end of January. We'll all be there. But we'll give the financial report. You can see where, we've been, where the money's gone and where it's going. I mean, do I want the money more and more and more to go towards uh, 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 justice and, and outreach and all that? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. And this is not like a pitch, but I, I, I've, I've talked to the Lord about it. If, what, what would you do with more money, Dave? What, would I get like a BMW or something like that? It's not for me. If there was more money, I would hire more people or simply hire, give people more hours to do more outreach. Not just to do it themselves, to train people to do it and to organize it and bring leadership and discipleship. That's exactly the vision and the mission of our church. We've actually made plans for it to go in that direction. Would, would more money also mean possibly more ability to have a building? That, that's part of it, sure. And then would that help with outreach? Sure. But, but I'm telling you, like we have literally crap... Cr- we will not make decisions that are not in line with our mission. To reach more people for the Lord. And we know exactly what we would do. I mean, we're being towards what we have. And we know exactly what we would do if there was more. Because we've prayed about it. And we're believing God for that, right? Okay, but it's resources to reach more people, to fuel the work of the kingdom, to provide for those who are serving the kingdom so that more things like that can happen. Um Here, Owen, come on up. And let me me finish with Owen coming up here. Owen's going to kind of wrap it up for us today and call us to response. Um, Appreciate you, Owen. Those announcements aren't as easy as you think, so these guys are good. But, um, we give to the Lord to honor Him. He promises he will supply our need according to riches and glory, right? We're citizens of another kingdom. If I was working in Mozambique where the economy is not great, but I was working for the government of the United States, what would my my wages be based on? Mozambique or here? It would be here. And that's the same thing. We're working for Jesus and the kingdom. If we've given our lives to Jesus in the gospel, he promises to provide for our needs according to his riches and glory. So that he can bring abundance even in the midst of this economic recession. But more than that, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to reign on the earth. What else are we living for if not for his reign on the earth? Right? To disciple nations. So that's why we give. And Paul says that to the Philippian church. There's such a model of saying, yes, we got it, Paul. We got it. And we will partner with you so that more churches can be planted and more people can be reached. And that's exactly what we have been called to as a church. A multitude of disciples and churches coming forth from this place. Amen? So let's go for it. Let's believe God together. Let's pray. That's koinonia. Let's love one another. That's koinonia. And let's give. Let's go out together and reach people. Let's celebrate each other's stories. Pick each other up when we're hurting. And let's be a family on mission. Amen?